want to welcome you here today, and this is uh, this this weekend was our is our finishing up our our series in Luke, 112 messages, and this is actually the last of the last. So this is it. This is the last one, and uh, I wanted to kind of so I was trying to think a little bit about how to um, how to. Give some perspective to the series and where we've been, and that's really hard to do because I, you know, I can't really do that for you. I, if if you were here two and a half years ago, I told you back then that a lot of stuff's going to happen. And in, in, well, I thought the series was going to be two years, and it turned out to be two and a half. Uh, but a lot of stuff was going to happen, and you know, this is what this is what happens sometimes. We go through life, and God blesses us, and great things happen, and we just take it and move on and forget about it. And I was trying to figure out, like, how could we just take a few minutes this morning and just remember some of the great things that God had done? And I realized, well, I can't do that for you. Uh, we have, you know, 800 people with different stories, and but I could prompt you a little bit. And so that's that's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna, I want to just ask you to go back in time a little bit. Let's just think back a little bit. I know you won't really be able to see this well, but uh, go back to the beginning of this year. So it's, uh, it's May. Oh, check this out. I just, did, I just discovered this. How cool is that? <laughs> I'm going to find so many ways to use this, like, even if it makes no sense. So go back to January this year, and now, now kind of think about where you were in January. Now go back uh, an entire year, okay, all the way through 2016. So I know it's a lot to get your mind around, but just now go back to 2016 and, and now go back another year, right, to 2015. Think about where you were and what you were doing in 2015. And then you got to go back to where we started the series, which was November, let me point this out to you, there. <laughs> November of 2014. We started the series on November 1st. So just think back, if you can, a little bit. Back to 2014. What were you doing? What was your life like? And what's happened since then? Um, so I, what I want to do is, I can't do this for you, but I can ask you some leading questions. And so here's how we're going to do this. I know how this works. I, you know, you, I, I come up here and I talk and you sit there. But I want to try something different. We're going to do a little interaction. So uh, everyone just... Show me you can raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Don't raise two. We're Baptist. Raise one hand. All right, good. All right, there you go. Put it down so I know you can do it. We had this whole rogue crowd last night that wouldn't do it. They were just, that's, that's Saturday. Don't come Saturday. Uh, so I'm going to ask you some leading questions. And if it applies to you, I want you to raise your hand. So this isn't about you getting recognition or me. Or, it's just God. I, all I want to do is to get us thinking a little bit about what God's done in the last two and a half years and give them a little... Just give them a little recognition for that. So I'm going to ask you some leading questions, and some of these may not relate to any of you. And um, so let me ask you this: Did anyone in the last two and a half years get married? Anyone get married? There you go. See, so and back there. So they, and right there, right? That's a big thing. I was going to ask, how's it going? It's going. Oh, it's going good. Everyone's smiling. Yeah, you're here. You're <laughs> together. All right. So that's kind of a big deal. That's a like two and a half years. That's a lot going on. Anyone get engaged? in the last two and a half years. Right, anyone? Okay, uh, where, where am I? I'm not seeing, where, somebody got, right there. Awesome, good for you. And when, and that's a big deal. Anyone get a, just get a date in the last two and a half years. You know? Make eye contact with someone of the opposite sex, you know? 
Uh, anyone in the last two and a half years, anyone start middle school? Right? Anyone? That's kind of a big, right? There you go. That's kind of, a, and that's a big deal. Middle school's like, I, that's, I, I was petrified. Hi, anyone start high school? Did anyone start high school in the last two and a half years? That's cool. There you go. All right. High school. You're doing okay. You're still here. Anybody start attending college or go back to college in the last two and a half years? Right? That's awesome. There you go. Good for you. Yeah. Anyone start paying back their student loans in the last two and a half years? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, anyone graduate from college in the last two and a half years? Anyone? Awesome. We got several on back there. Awesome. That's awesome. See, it's a big, big, big life change. Uh, anyone get their driver's license in the last two and a half years? Tori's back there. I, I just want to make sure I know who you all are. <laughs> I see you on the road. Anyone get a new job in the last two and a half years? Right? Anyone get two jobs? Two jobs, two different jobs. And anyone get three? Now we're just, <laughs> okay, uh, which is kind of a big deal. Anyone change careers, like just a complete different change of direction in the last two and a half years? Yeah, Michelle did. She's working at Gateway. Uh, um, but it's good, right? It's good. Yeah, she's like, yay. Uh, anyone, uh, anyone retire in the last two and a half years? Anyone? Wow, okay. Anyone, anyone wish they'd retired in the last two and a half years? <laughs> anyone completely given up on retirement? Yeah, that's it. Anyone have a child or adopt a child in the last two and a half years? Yeah, awesome. Good for you guys. Yeah, anyone get sleep in the last two and a half years? Anyone move into a different house or apartment in it? Because that... Yeah, that's a huge, right? And some of you, I was laughing like uh, Scott, our worship guy, right? They, they've done like, I think almost everything. I think, right? They started dating, they got married, they had a kid, they moved from South Carolina. I think they've done it all. Um, how many of you traveled to another country in the last two and a half years? How about to another continent in the last two and a half years? Hey, th th this is a, see, most people through most of human history, that would be almost impossible for them to do. It's amazing. We live in a day and age where we can do these kind of things. We can hop on a plane and go to another part of the world. And, and I hope that you enjoyed doing that. How many of you went on a, a short-term missions trip in the last two and a half years? Anyone go on a trip? Awesome. Awesome. Good for you. Uh, let's see. What do we got? Uh, anyone attempt to commute to Portland during rush hour in the last two and a half years? <laughs> that's, gonna, that's a big one. Um, Anyone, anyone have a child that moved out of your house and maybe went away to college or, yeah, see, I know some of you, we've had talks. That's good. That's a pretty, pretty big deal. How many of you are wishing that? No, never mind. We won't have that. Uh, how many of you had kind of a major medical issue in the last two and a half years that you had kidney transplants, you know, stuff like that. Um, you can't both do it in two and a half years. You're supposed to kind of even that out. Yeah. How many of you lost a loved one? Somebody who's just very near and dear to you in the last two and a half years. You come through that. Yeah. And so we experience God in, um, in hopefully really helpful uh, ways during that. Let me ask you this. How many of you started attending Gateway in the last two and a half years? Yeah, that's awesome. 
How many of you were attending, left, and now that the series is done, you're coming back? <laughs> <laughs> a few of you are like, yeah, I'm back, I'm back now. Oh, yeah, wait till you hear what's next. I don't know. Um, how many of you got involved in a new ministry, new to you in the last two and a half years? You've kind of dove in and done. Awesome. How many of you, how many of you participated at some point in the last two and a half years in a grow group at Gateway? Yeah, that's awesome. Most of us have done that. Um, now, here's one. How many of you in the last two and a half years, and now you're not bragging or any of that stuff, but this is something God did. How many of you in the last two and a half years had an opportunity at least once where you were able to share the gospel with somebody who was far from God, who didn't know Christ, and God just opened that door and gate? That's awesome, right? That's good stuff. Um, how many of you in the last two and a half years would say that God had worked in your life it wasn't you, it was him in such a way that you either gave your life to Christ or you, you rededicated your life in a major way. Like you have a new kind of relationship with him. Anybody? Yeah, that's cool. And hopefully in the midst of all this, you know, the gospel of Luke was a part of it. It's just been an amazing journey. And today we're, we're coming to the end of this. And, and hopefully we can be remembering in the midst of all this that God has been good to us, hasn't he? That God has been with us, that God has been working, that God has been answering our prayers over the last two and a half years because today we're coming to the end of all this. We're coming to uh, the ascension, the ascension of Jesus Christ. And this is kind of an interesting um, concept because when you look at the life of Christ in the Gospels, a lot of attention goes to the birth. We spent months talking about the birth of Jesus. A lot of attention goes to the crucifixion of Jesus, spent a lot of time there to the resurrection of Jesus. But when it comes to the ascension, like almost no attention is given to the ascension of Christ. Uh, Luke is the only gospel writer who gives any details whatsoever other than Jesus ascended, because that's pretty much all you get in any of the other Gospels. Not only did Luke give us more detail, but he did it twice. He did it at the end of the Gospel of Luke, and then he did it in the sequel that he wrote to Luke, which is the book of Acts. So at the very end of Luke, he gives us a few details, not much, and at the very beginning of the sequel, he gives us a little bit as well. Now, Jesus doesn't ascend to heaven immediately after the resurrection. In fact, in, in Acts chapter 1, Luke gives us a, a little bit of detail there. He says that Jesus presented himself alive to them, that is to believers, after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them, notice what he says, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So Jesus, over a period of 40 days after the resurrection, he's just hanging out, he's appearing to people, he's walking through walls, he's, he's eating, eating food with people and just kind of hanging out. Now we know on Easter day, he appeared to Mary Magdalene, he appeared to Peter, he appeared to a couple people on the Emmaus Road, he appeared to the apostles in the upper room. In 1 Corinthians 15, written just a little bit later, Paul gives us a little more detail about what happened there. He says that Jesus appeared to Cephas and, and then to the twelve. And then look at this, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. So that's kind of a big appearance that he makes, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. This is kind of interesting when Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinth a little while after Jesus had ascended. He says, you know, um, 
between the resurrection and the ascension, Jesus appeared to a lot of people. In fact, he appeared to, to 500 at one time and most of them are still alive. He says that they might be your neighbors and these are people you could actually go talk to and say, hey, did, so you saw Jesus right after the resurrection and you know what what was it like and you could ask people they were still around at this time now after 40 days uh, Jesus gathers his disciples together and in Acts 1 again it, it gives us a little bit of detail here he says but but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth and so Jesus gives them the their mission the, the great commission we talked a little bit about this last week he said you'll start by just telling people about me and what you saw and heard and experienced in Jerusalem that's where they were and then you'll go out a little bit farther to Judea and then to Samaria and eventually you'll go all over the world and 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 tell people about about what Jesus had done now, our passage back in Luke, as we finish up Luke today, in chapter 24, verse 50, it tells us this. And Jesus led them out as far as Bethany. So this is, this is it. This is what we get in Luke as far as the ascension goes. He led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he, he blessed them or literally he was, he was blessing them. He was in the process of that. And while he was doing that, he parted for them and was carried up into heaven. So this is a stunning miracle when you think about it. And we have almost no detail at all. We know that it was in Bethany, which is interesting. I, you know, he didn't go to the temple, for instance, and ascend from there. He goes about two miles outside of Jerusalem uh, on a small city on a hillside. And it says he lifted up his hands. This is what a rabbi would do to bless the people. And as he was blessing them, it says that he is carried up into heaven. So just a little distinction that we want to make here. Um, this is not saying that heaven is up in the sky somewhere. And sometimes you know, people read this and they'll ask, so how far up do I have to go to get to heaven? Like, uh, will the, can the Hubble telescope pick it up? Is it in our galaxy? Is it beyond? And, and this gets confusing for people. So we want to say this, that heaven exists, but it, it, it doesn't exist up there. We would say this, heaven exists in another realm, that was a term that the church used for years. Uh, science, if we want to use science terms today, we might say that heaven exists in, in another dimension or in, in another realm. And so if you know uh, a little bit about physics, you'll be familiar with the concept of dimensions. And so if you'll allow me for a minute, I want to just kind of open up a door of thinking here in terms of when we're talking about heaven and, and where God is. So uh, this might look familiar to you. We, uh, we live in uh, four dimensions, three dimensions of space and one dimension of, of time. We, we all know that. And um, the, our 3D world that we live in is uh, kind of a unique world. So I'm going to use this just because I really want to. Um, no, I don't have to. So here, I'm just kidding. So we could say in a one-dimensional world, you just have a line or a point. That's what a one-dimensional world is, depending on how you want to describe it. It's, it's just a line, and you're somewhere on that line. So we could just say that the height here represents a one-dimensional world. And then we might add another dimension, a second dimension, which we might called depth here. So we could say we live in a one-dimensional world, it's just a line, and I'm somewhere in that line. Now in a two-dimensional world, I'm there's both height and we could say there's, there's depth in both directions. And that's 
uh, called a plane. All right, it's like a piece of paper. And so now in a two-dimensional world, you could be anywhere on that piece of paper. It's a little bit more space. Now in a three-dimensional world, we could say that we're going to add uh, width here, right? And so now we might go like this in both directions. So in a, in a three-dimensional world, there's both height, there is width, and there is depth. And now we kind of live in a world with volume, and we can exist anywhere within there. Now, here's kind of the interesting thing about dimensions. We live in a three-dimensional world, but scientists say that they have proven at Stanford uh, through math that it, there are at least 21 dimensions that exist in our world, and some think that there is an infinite number of dimensions in our world. Now, here's why this is all kind of interesting. Because whenever you add a dimension, that dimension must exist at 90 degrees to every other dimension. So we can understand three dimensions because we've experienced it. So if you can, again, follow with me, we could say in our one-dimensional world, right, we just have a line, and then when we added, I'll just do this because that's just too much fun. So then when we add, when we add width, what have we done? We've added a 90-degree angle. So every new dimension has to be at 90 degrees. And then if we want to add depth, right, that depth exists at a 90-degree, both to height and, and both to width. So every new dimension must be at a 90-degree angle to every other dimension. So now imagine for a moment in your mind, just picture, if we were to add a fourth dimension, what would that look like? You can't picture that, and neither can I, and neither can any scientist, because we only live in three dimensions, and we can't imagine a extra-dimensional world that we haven't lived in. That's the problem. So not, there is not an artist in the world who has ever been able to draw this. Scientists can only prove it through mathematics, but they say that they have proven through math that there are at least 21 dimensions. Now, here's why this is significant. Scientists tell us that anything that exists in a dimension beyond ours, so let's say there's something lives, there's a being that lives in a fourth dimension. That means that that being could be in the room right now, sitting next to you. It could see you, it could hear you, it could sense you. You could not see it, you could not hear it, and you could not sense it, unless it decided to intersect with the three-dimensional world that you live in. And it all starts to sound just kind of familiar, doesn't it? It sounds a little bit like angels and all that other stuff. And, and so what scientists will say is, there may be entire other worlds that exist right here. Not somewhere else, but right here, right among us. Now, when we're talking about heaven, I don't really know that that's what we're talking about. I'm just trying to open up the door a little bit and say, you know, so when Jesus would say things like the kingdom of God is among you and around you and, you know, amongst you, it may be so that heaven isn't so much, you know, a thousand light years away as it is all around us in a way that we cannot enter into at this point. As one writer, scholar put it, uh, heaven is another dimension where God is wholly experienced and known. And I'd love to talk about this more, but we gotta move on. So Acts chapter one, verse nine, again, it says, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. So Jesus 
was lifted up. And there's a sense of the Greek here that it happened slowly, that it wasn't just, just like this, but he began, so Jesus is like waving to them, you know, and then he's starting to go up. And Peter's like, hey, what, you know, what are you doing? Can you hear me? And Jesus is like, yeah, it's, you know, I don't know if they're talking, but he's going up and he's getting smaller and smaller. And so, it kind of reminded me of when I was a kid and you'd have a helium balloon and let go of it. You ever do that? And you'd watch it and see how long you could watch it before it disappeared. And Jesus is going up and then they can't see him anymore and they can't hear him and they can't talk to him. He's just, he's, he's gone. And then I love what happens next in verse 10. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, so I, I kind of picture they're watching him, they're watching him, they're watching him. He's gone. They're still looking to see, you know, people are wandering by. There's a group of people just staring at the sky. People stop and look. And, and it says, and suddenly they were gazing into heaven. Behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This kind of reminds me of what happened 40 days earlier when people went to the tomb. And there was some angels there saying, you know, why do you look for the living among the dead? And uh, this is kind of the gag that angels do, you know. And oh, why are you looking uh, up into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you in to heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. It's the ascension. It's, it's where we end up. Well, almost. So what does that mean for us? What is the ascension? How does that impact? How does it intersect with our lives today? I want to finish the series by giving you several suggestions about what the, the ascension means for you today, why it's so important uh, before we wrap this up. The first is this. The ascension reminds us and illustrates for us that Jesus is exalted. This is, this is important. Jesus' physical ascension illustrates, I think, in a physical way, a greater spiritual reality. Think of it this way. I mean, why didn't Jesus, he could have just been with them and talking with them, and then he said, so that's all I got to say, Jesus out, and he could have been gone. You know? Like, why, why ascend? What's that all about? Well, I think God is trying to illustrate for them something they can understand. That Jesus is moving on up, you know, and, and now, I can't, I'm not going to sing the song, and, he's, uh, and he's, he's ascended. Now, I can't get it out of my head. He's ascended. And later, Peter would describe it this way in 1 Peter 3.22. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus, who has gone into heaven, so we have a, an ascension kind of picture here. He's gone into heaven, and, and here's, here's where he is. And he's at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. So right hand is a metaphor for all power. So Jesus now has all authority. The, the ascension is a reminder to the disciples that something just changed for Jesus. During the incarnation, Jesus came down to earth and he humbled himself in a whole lot of ways, but he humbled himself by living in a body like ours and by limiting his exercise of power and his exercise of authority. Uh, he limited his ability to be omnipresent uh, and this was all self um, kind of limiting things that he did. He set aside his rights while he was here. Uh, his rights in order to serve you. In order to make your salvation possible. He set aside his right to be honored, which he had every right to be honored by everyone he came in contact with, but he set that aside. He set aside his right to be worshipped. He set aside his right to be obeyed. And instead, he allowed people to do something that never happens in heaven. He allowed people to oppose him. 
He allowed people to mock him. He allowed people to deny his deity. He allowed people to arrest him and physically abuse him and nail him to a cross and laugh at him while he died. He allowed them to do all of that so that he could save you. But in heaven, Jesus has all authority. So it's different in heaven than it was here. He has authority over every spiritual being that has been created, which is everything but the Godhead. He has all power. He is honored in heaven. He is worshiped in heaven and obeyed in heaven, and he is loved in heaven in a way that he was not here. So he, he is exalted. So something has changed. And this, by the way, should be a reminder to us because as, as Christians, this should be reflected in our life. We should be those who give him authority and honor and worship in our lives down here on earth as it is in heaven. That's part of what we, so we don't live like most people. We live different because he ascended, because we've been reminded of that. Here's the second thing though, and that is that uh, we have been given a new reality because of Jesus' ascension. And we get this idea in Ephesians chapter two. In verse four, it tells us this. Paul is talking about this concept and he says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. And then he, he says this, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him. Uh, so we, again, we have a kind of ascension thinking here. And he says that we have been raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And what's interesting about what Paul says here is he doesn't say that he's going to raise us up and that he's going to seat us. He says he already has. He's trying to make a, a, a point here. See, as believers, we know that, we, that our future is in heaven. But what Paul's saying is that in a sense, we have already ascended with him. We are already there with him our, because our salvation is as sure as his ascension. And we can now rejoice in that security that we have. It, over the years, if you've studied this at all, you know that there was a period of time where German theologians uh, kind of grabbed onto this and went in some really weird directions. And they came up with a concept called the doppelganger. And the whole thing was because there's no time in heaven that anyone who's going to heaven is actually already there. And so all of us have a double if we're Christians and that double is already in heaven and that's what Jesus is talking about. Now that's just weird. I don't quite get that, but... What he's saying is that our salvation is that sure. Now, there were times in Jesus' life that didn't really reflect the reality of who he is. There were times when people disrespected him and rejected him and mocked him and abused him. But Jesus always had this, this, this calm, confident assurance as he went through life. And I think he had that confident assurance for several reasons. He, he knew where he had come from because his life didn't start on earth. He had existed for eternity past. He knew who he was, and he knew where he was going. And because he knew where he was going when all of this was over, he could have confidence, he could have peace, he could, get a, he could have a calmness of heart as he walked through life. So I think the ascension reminds us that he wants to do that kind of work in each one of us as well. Because, you know, life doesn't always go the way that we want does it? There in, in this life, there's going to be pain. In this life, there's going to be rejection. There's going to be failure. 
And we're going to fail people. People are going to fail us. We're going to hurt other people. Other people are going to hurt us. Our body over time, if we live long enough, will begin to, to fail us. But, but because of the ascension, we can have this confident assurance because Jesus is on the throne. And in a sense, we are right there with him because nothing can separate us from the love of God. And if nothing can separate us from the love of God, then we know that we are as good as in heaven. So when life gets tough, when, when, when we get anxious, when we have to deal with difficulties in life, we can still have peace. As scripture says, a peace that goes beyond all comprehension and understanding and doesn't even make any sense. And we can do it because we have a savior who is in heaven and who is guaranteed that we'll make it there with him. And that kind of takes us to the third thing that we want to talk about, something that happens at the ascension, and that is that Jesus begins to intercede for us. And there's a concept here. In the Old Testament, uh, Israel had a high priest, and uh, the high priest had a lot of duties, but one of his jobs, and there was only one high priest at a time, is he had access to the inner chamber of the temple, which is where God's presence dwelt on earth. And so he had this unique opportunity to go into the presence of God, and one of his responsibilities was to intercede for other people. So, you know, people might bring prayer requests to him and say, and I got a health issue, or, you know, my kids aren't doing well, or whatever, and they would take the high priest. And since he had a special relationship with God, he would go in and he would pray for people and he would intercede. And sometimes people wouldn't even ask him for prayer. He would just know that they need it and he would do that for them. But the, the challenge was that the high priest was, was just a human being like everyone else. He wasn't perfect. And as time went on, um, the high priest, he, he wasn't, it would be difficult for him to relate to most people because by the time of Jesus, the high priest was a man with tons of power and, and where most people didn't have power, he had privilege and wealth and, and status that most people didn't have. Um, but at the ascension, Jesus basically says, we no longer need a high priest on earth because he now is, is fulfilling that role for us. In Hebrews, it tells us this, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. So here again, we have this ascension idea. He's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. He's talking about in prayer. We can come to confidently to God in prayer and we can take things to him and we can, we can be confident that we'll receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. See, Jesus knows what it's like to be in your shoes. And I don't know if you've ever been going through something in life and thought, well, I don't even know, why would I even pray about it? God's busy. He's got stuff to do. There's a whole universe to run and all that kind of stuff. And, and he's, you know, got all the extra dimensional worlds to deal with. And then, you know, it's just, just me and just my issue. Here's the point. He loves you. He cares about you. And he knows what it's like to walk in your shoes. He knows. I mean, for instance, he had a body that had limitations like you have a body with limitations. Have you ever been like, oh, I can't, I want to do this, but I can't do this, and my body won't do it or whatever? And Jesus is like, I, well, I can totally relate. You know, I've been there. <laughs> I didn't live in one of those bodies. <laughs> I know what that's like. Oh, you can count on me to pray for you. I, 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 can, I can identify. Uh, think about this. My, uh, Jesus had to go to school. Which is kind of funny when you think about it. Like, you know, God going to school. Would you want to be his teacher? You know, it, Jesus, he's totally blowing the, the, you know, the grade curve and, and class school and all that stuff. Hey, he's sitting in class going, oh man. Like, 
he actually did know more than his teacher, but he still went. So if you're in school and you're like, oh man, God, you have no idea. Jesus is like, oh, believe me, I know what it's like to go to school. I know. Can you even imagine? Like, so here's a, here's a conversation I had with my daughter last night. Jesus knows what it's like to be raised by imperfect parents. <laughs> There's a conversation we had. I was like, yeah, it must be tough to be raised by imperfect parents just imagine Jesus. He actually was smarter than his parents. He actually did know more than his parents, right? Can you, hey, so, you know, if you're a kid and you're like, oh God, you know, you can't even believe what I have to deal with. Jesus is like, oh, I do, <laughs> right? I mean, like I had rules. Jesus, Jesus had rules. I don't know if he had curfew at 11. I, you know, Jesus could have been like, what am I going to do at midnight? Then I'm not going to do at 10. I, what, go heal the blind? I, you know, no, you have to come home, Jesus. You can't, you can't be out. But he, he obeyed the rules, right? He obeyed the rules. He, scripture says that he was obedient to his parents and he was respectful to his imperfect parents. Imperfect? Okay, I should move on. Uh, Jesus... Uh, he had siblings who didn't believe in him while he was living at home. Right? I mean, some of you, maybe you're like, yeah, my, you know, my, my brothers and sisters don't believe in me either. They think I'm a loser. I'm never gonna, they don't show me any respect. Jesus like, been there. <laughs> I know exactly what it's like. I, I, can, uh, I can sympathize with you. He knew what it was like to have a physically demanding job. He'd been a carpenter for years comes home. He's exhausted. You may have a demanding, difficult job. You can go and talk to him about that because Jesus is all over that. He's like, I, no, I understand. That's, that's tough. That's hard. I want to I help you with that. Uh, hungry, you know. I, Jesus knew what it was like to be hungry. And I don't mean like I didn't have breakfast hungry or I was too busy today to have, a, you know, three, three meals. Jesus went for 40 days without eating any food. 40 days. Can you imagine? Right? And he, by the way, he did it for you. He did it for me. He didn't do it for him. 40 days. He knew what it was like to be exhausted. There are accounts in scripture where, you know, Jesus' ministry was just going. Nobody would give him any alone time and he was exhausted. There's a few examples of that in uh, the gospels. And so he tells his disciples, we got to get out of here. Let's go hide somewhere and have a retreat and get some sleep. And by the time he gets there, the crowds already show up and he isn't getting any sleep. He know, you know, again, if you're going to God going, God, I'm so exhausted. God, I'm so tired. I have several of those discussions lately. Like, I'm so tired. Right? Some of you are like feeling it right now. <laughs> and Jesus is like, I, no, I understand. Maybe you're just, you've been disappointed by people that you've, you've loved and served and poured your time into. And yeah, maybe you're stressed. You're feeling rejected. You're feeling betrayed by someone that you trusted and loved. People are mocking you, physical pain. Jesus says, I, I know, I understand all that. Being tempted. Scripture says that Jesus has been tempted to sin in every way that you've ever been tempted in and more so. And he was able to successfully navigate those and he can help you do that as well. So the good news is Jesus knows all of this stuff and he has the power to help you and he loves you and he wants to. And so we can pray to God knowing that Jesus is right there. He's listening to us. He knows what we're dealing with. He's involved. He's not up in heaven going, oh, I can't believe you're bringing this to me right now. You know, I got to figure out what to do. No, he, he cares about it. And, and here's the interesting thing about just how much he cares for you. He cares for you so much that he doesn't sit around waiting for you to ask him for help. Have you ever, have you ever suddenly 
come up against a problem and you prayed to God, I need some help, and then you got the answer and you realized that he would have had to start answering that prayer before you ever prayed it? See, that's how much he intercedes and loves and, and cares for you. Uh, so he's interceding for us. Here's the fourth thing. Uh, in the ascension, we're going to get the Holy Spirit it's going to kind of clear the way for that. So Jesus is going to go up, and then in a short time, the Holy Spirit's going to come down. Now, Jesus told his disciples in the upper room, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, he says, I will send him to you. So now, I don't really understand why it is that Jesus and the Holy Spirit apparently are not going to occupy the same space at the same time on earth. It's just not going to happen. And I don't really understand why that is. I just know that it was. And so here was the deal. Jesus had to go up so that the Holy Spirit could come down. And, and here's why I think this is kind of interesting. Because if you had a choice, like let's just say God came to you today and said, I'm going to give you a choice. You get one of two options. Uh, for the rest of your life, uh, you can either have Jesus physically living next door and he'll be your best friend and you can eat together and talk together and you can see him anytime you want or I'll give you the Holy Spirit. Which one do you want? I got to admit, I'd probably take Jesus, <laughs> right? I mean, how cool would that be? I mean, how many of us have thought, how amazing would it be to have Jesus with us? But Jesus says that actually would not be the best choice. He says the best choice would be that I could go so you could have the Holy Spirit with you. Now, now why is the Holy Spirit a better choice for us? Well, for one thing, Jesus could only be in one place at a time when he was on this earth. That's, that's the way it worked. Uh, he could only teach a group of people who were close enough to hear him. Right? He could only have a meal with people who could sit around the, the table with him. He could only, you know, feed people who were within the vicinity. This is the way that it worked. Jesus couldn't be in two places at, at one time. The Holy Spirit is different. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent. When Jesus was down here, he had constructed his incarnation in such a way to be in a body like ours that he could not be omnipresent, but the Holy Spirit can. So here's where it's really different with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can live in every believer all over the world all at once. Jesus could not do that. The Holy Spirit gives us spiritual abilities and gifts that Jesus did not. The Holy Spirit seals us for the day of salvation, which Jesus did not do. The Holy Spirit makes it possible for believers all over the world to be sharing the gospel with billions of people all at the same time, where Jesus could only be sharing the gospel with the people who could physically hear his voice. In fact, the Holy Spirit can work in the heart of a person uh, who's an unbeliever without a believer even around, something Jesus could not, did not do. In John 14, 12, Jesus says this to his disciples, truly, truly, in other words, listen to what I'm about to say, this is really important and paradigm shifting, you know. I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do. Now, there's, this verse has been ripped out of context and misused in so many churches today. What he's talking about is, it comes in the last phrase, because I am going to the Father. He says, I'm ascending. And in that ascending, you're going to be able to do greater works. Now, what does that mean by greater works? Jesus is simply saying, I think this, that his ministry of proclaiming the gospel will no longer be restricted to the location of his physical body on earth. All that's going to change. 
Shortly after the ascension, the Spirit came down. God's people were indwelt by the Spirit. They were empowered by the Spirit. The church was born through the coming of the Spirit. Believers became bold in a way that they were never bold, even when Jesus was on this earth. They unlocked the door. They went out of hiding. They began to share the gospel. The church exploded at an exponential rate in a way that it, it did not do when Jesus was here. Uh, persecution started and it pushed the church out of Jerusalem into the, into the empire and eventually around the world. And the spirit went with each individual that was pushed out of Jerusalem in a way that Jesus could not have done. The spirit was in the midst of it all. And so God gives us the spirit. Jesus goes up. The Spirit comes down. And here's the last thing I want to I mention in this passage, and that is that we see believers are released for worship in a way that we have not seen before in the Gospels. Last two verses of the Gospel of Luke. This is it. This is how the biography in Luke of Jesus ends. And they worshiped him, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing or praising or worshiping God. And that idea of, of, of worshiping him with great joy, we have not seen. We've not seen this yet in the gospel until the end. And in fact, it seems kind of strange when you think about the context. I mean, would, how would you have felt if you had just spent three years with Jesus, if, if you had just been living with him, if you had left everything to follow him, if you could talk to him whenever you wanted, if you ate all your meals with him, if you saw, if you heard his amazing teaching, if you saw the miracles that he worked and, and then you saw him uh, crucified and then you saw him risen from the dead and now he's gone. How would you feel? Wouldn't it be natural to feel a little sad, a little alone, you know, a little panicked? Like, now what do we do? But that's not the disciples. They're, they're filled with joy in a way we have not seen up to this point. Because I, th I think they're finally getting it. it. Jesus is God, and he's, he's just going back to where he came from. He, he started there and came down here, and now he's, he's going back. And he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And he's going to start interceding for us and he'll build this little mansion in heaven and, and answer our prayers and empower us and, and uh, govern the course of history and you know, the whole running of the universe and all that stuff. Things are just going back to the way that they were, only better. Only things are going to be better now because he has accomplished the work of salvation, something he had not done before he came down here. As one writer put it, Jesus has a greater glory because now he has a glorified body complete with the scars that he did not have before he came to this earth. So the disciples are filled with joy because they, they finally understand that it was better for Jesus to leave than to stay. Something they had not grasped before. And I love the fact that Luke ends with worship. I just, what a great way to end this biography of, of Jesus' life. And the people are worshiping him. They're full of joy. And it says they were continually doing it. They were doing it every day. At the ascension, it all comes together for them and their response is worship. It's to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think this is where the gospel of Luke ought to lead us as well. If nothing else, that we would be worshipers of the ascended king, of our savior. Not just at church, but at home, at work, at school, wherever we go, that we would be worshipers. And that's the gospel of Luke. 
Jesus came, Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose, Jesus ascended, Jesus saves. Well, folks, that's uh, the Gospel of Luke. And um, I, you know, first of all, I just want to thank you for uh, allowing me to do this over the last two and a half years. I wasn't sure uh, how long you would allow this to go on. So I'm really glad that we were able to follow all the way through. And um, just thank you for your involvement and your prayers and all of that. And, um, and now what? We've got to go somewhere. So next weekend, uh, I, I've kind of been working, in fact, till midnight last night, kind of trying to wrap things up. And I wanted to do something really different. Like, what are we going to do next? Something really extremely different from Luke. And I'll kind of explain how different it is. But I think it's as far from Luke as you can possibly get. So next week, we're going to start a uh, 16-week series. Um, and we're going to be looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. So this is, this is a really, really different way for us to go. Uh, 16 weeks means that we'll be done the last weekend in August. And then, you know, it'll be fall and we'll start something else. But Ecclesiastes uh, is a, just a, a very interesting book. Uh, some of you maybe have never read it. You don't even know where it is. You can go, I'll just... Look in the first half of the Bible. It's in there somewhere. Uh, it's in the wisdom, poetry, uh, literature. Next week, we're going to kind of unfold it, talk about some of the details and get going. And uh, if you want to, I'd encourage you, you might want to read, just read the first chapter this week. Just word to the wise. Haha. <laughs> um, word of the wise, uh, do it um, sitting in the sunlight and uh, with a, you know, some coffee um, some, and with happy people around you because, yeah, it's, <laughs> Valerie said, it's a, it's a dark book, all right? But it's going to allow us to talk about some stuff that we just, we don't talk about in here. We're going we're gonna to talk about some stuff that we just don't get into in church usually. And I think it's going to be really good for us. So that's next week. And uh, I'm looking forward to that as well. So I'm going to pray. And then uh, we're going to sing a few songs because how can we talk about worship and not worship? And then uh, it's the last service, so we're going to sing a few songs and then someone's going to get wet uh, over there. That's how we're going to end. Let's, let's pray together.